You see, it's one thing to say, don't do that. It's another thing to say, here's why we don't do this. Now, do you understand why we don't do this? If you do that again, I'll have to punish you because the Word of God says, this is what I'm supposed to do and teach you. Now, when you have children of your own, you're going to have to know that you're responsible to teach your children the same thing. Now, how are you going to do that? And you begin to teach them how to teach their children. So when their children come up and they come to your house and you tell them not to do something, you know that you're reinforcing what mom and dad have already said to them. See, this is not my philosophy. Over and over, I gave you all the verses last week, that this is what God's Word says. Your children and your grandchildren, you're responsible for. And if you want to make it easy for you to train your grandchildren, make sure you train your children. I know it's easier to let things slide. But you either pay now or you pay later. And even if we do everything we're supposed to do and it still doesn't work, God's grace is sufficient. We can continue to pray. We can continue to believe that God will take those truths that were taught and bring them to fruit in their life. Somewhere along the line. I've known of parents that have prayed for years and years and years for the children and it looked like a disaster. Children have gone into prison. One man I know went on the death row and on death row he accepted Jesus Christ. Well, nothing else is more important anyway. He found Jesus Christ as personal Savior. That's the most important thing. In that particular case, that man was pardoned and went out into a ministry. But think of the faith that mother had to have when he went to prison on death row. And she'd been praying for him for years that he'd get saved and he finally got saved. Doesn't make any difference. I, I, I mean, God can take my children anywhere in the world. He'd have to take them, as far as I'm concerned, to get them to the place where they'll accept Jesus Christ to make him Lord of their life. If they won't listen, God's got other ways to, to bring them to, to the place where they will listen. But what a joy it is to be around parents or children of parents who teach biblical principles and respect for other people's property, who teach respect for the adults. I mean, some, parent, some young people will walk in this church and walk out of this church and never speak to an adult. Have you parents, have you ever talked to children that it's polite for them to walk up and speak to another adult and say, how are you, and get to know them? Children say, ah, that's a drag. Let me tell you something. You can learn something if you'll just listen. First of all, adults like to be respected because they've had experience that you have never had. And they can probably tell you a couple of things that you don't know. But you respect parents, and they'll begin to respect you. And when they begin to respect you, then they're concerned about your future and what's going to happen in your future. And you'll find out that it's going to be a real benefit to you. I'll talk about that more a little bit later on. But we can't pass it off to others. We can't reason it away. The roots determine the fruit. Can I say that again? The roots that your children have established will determine the fruit they produce in the days ahead. Whatever kind of soil you put their roots down into, that's the kind of fruit they're going to produce. So if you have children producing less our lemon, then pray that God will cause that, the, the roots to, to be in better soil. Put them in better soil so the fruit will come forth. One of the greatest problems I see today with the elderly, and you look around, you'll see it's true. Elderly people today, are many of them have problems of loneliness. No one comes to see them. I can take you up to a nursing home up in Deland, Florida, and you'll see what looks like the shells of people sitting around in wheelchairs looking at the floor and slobbering down the front of their bibs. No one comes to visit them. No one comes to talk to them. They're just cast aside. One of the greatest, some of the greatest problems are loneliness and uselessness. What can I do? Work, I mean, you put them in a, a nursing home, you give a grandpa a backyard and a certain area to raise a garden in, boy, boy he'll be out there every morning. Or give him a little workshop to go out, and he'll be working in that workshop every day because he doesn't want to be non-productive any more than you and I want to be. The third problem they have is the fear of the future. Now, you think about those things, loneliness. 
if they know that their children are going to be there to visit them, if they know their children are going to come and share with them what's happening in their life, if they know their children are going to come pick them up and take them off, let's go off and do this together, let's go shopping, let's go have a dinner together, let's do these things together, that's going to take care of a lot of that loneliness. And then for the children to get them involved with other couples of the same age that are friends of other family friends that they know, other families in the church, loneliness can be taken care of. Uselessness. If you came from time to time to your mother and dad and said, Mom, Dad, this is what we're thinking about. What do you think about this? Give us some counsel on this. We need to, will you pray about this, Mom? Will you pray about this, Dad? Will you give us whatever information you got on this? Uh, we may not do exactly what you say, but we sure need your input. And, and by the way, uh, Charlie down the street here wants to know if he can come by and ask you some information on this. You've had some experience on this. What would that begin to do to elderly people? They would sharpen up. They would have a purpose for getting up in the morning and begin to function uselessness. I'm told that executives, when they retire today from large corporations, the average life expectancy is two years. I mean, big, important men, in two years, they're gone. Why? No purpose. That's why I keep telling men, don't look forward just to retirement. Plan retirement to be the time when you're really going to be able to produce more for Jesus Christ than you ever have before. Every day, get up with a purpose and a calling to be able to go and minister to others and minister to other needs and, and teach and, and get into the jail ministry. Get into calling on other people in the church. Get involved. Don't get, don't get lazy. Get your, your cane pole and your straw hat and your uh, sitting under a palm tree just fishing until Jesus comes. No, that's not what God said at all. You don't dare get to that area of uselessness. Then fear of the future. You know, if your children, if your parents know that you love them, that you're never going to forsake them, you're never going to let them go, you're going to take care of them. They have no reason to fear the future. If they have poured out their lives, you know, when I sit back, and Pat and I have talked about this recently, I'm amazed when I think about the fact that my father worked until he was in his 80s. He was 60 when I was born. So he worked until he was in his 80s to make sure there was enough income, and we didn't have much income. And my mother worked every day. She had to, because my father was crippled for so many years. Uh, just to make payments. And I, I said, I think, you know, what they did for us kids, just so we could make it through. If they were around yet, I would still be wanting to do whatever I could to try to help them out. Why? Because one of these days when my children get older, I don't want them to think about taking care of me too. Grandparents should be the lovingest, prayingest, workingest, callingest, givingest workers in the church. Grandparents and great-grandparents should have more to give and offer. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 92, 10, I think it is, or 12, that the righteous will flourish like the palm tree. And the palm tree goes on down about four or five more verses. It says that they, the older the tree, the sweeter the fruit. They bear the sweetest fruit in old age. And today, the idea of, man, when I get to retirement age, I'm going to hit the road and then I'm gone, buddy, don't ever want Instead of responsibility and realization that you have the most productive years of your life for Jesus Christ when you come to that age of retirement. Being an example to the believers. Seeking out opportunities to serve the Lord. Uh, we had, in our, the church I was in in Colorado years ago, we had 150 widows in that church and many older couples. And they would pray, uh, become prayer partners with the young people, they would take the names of the young people and they would pray for them every single day while they're in, having their devotions at home. And then once in a while they'd invite the young people to their home and, and the young people would call them mom and pop, whatever it was. And when the young people would come to the altar, the adults would be down there with them and put their arms around their shoulder and pray with them and weep with them. And they got to know, the older folks got to know the young people in a very intimate way, by on first name basis. And in those two and a half years I was there, 54 young people went away to study in Bible college for ministry, and then many others went to other colleges. 
but many of them were supported in school by those they're sponsored by some of those couples that knew them, the older couples in the church that knew them. You just get some of them couldn't afford to go to college. You just go ahead, don't you worry. We'll take care of this. You want know to talk about young people? Get to know. Get to know the elderly folks. Get them. Let them love you. Let them know you. Many of them are lonely, and if they find someone who really loves the Lord and loves them, they'll pray for you every single day. They may not give you anything, but they'll give you. I mean, materially, but they'll give you something spiritually. They'll pray for you and encourage you in any way they possibly can. These things are so important for us to understand these principles. Paul, in writing to Timothy, his father, Timothy's father was a Greek and his mother was a Jewish lady. Timothy himself became a martyr for Jesus Christ. He was able to die for the name of Christ. And Paul said concerning Timothy in 2 Timothy, the first chapter and the fifth verse, 2 Timothy 1.5. Will you look at that with me? 2 Timothy 1.5. 2 Timothy 1.5. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which first, what? Which first dwelt in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Isn't that powerful? The unfeigned faith, the powerful faith that's in you, Timothy. You know where it came from? From Gamma. You know where it came from, Timothy? From Mom. And now it's in you. You wonder why it's important for parents to teach their children, grandparents to teach their grandchildren because the faith and the love and the strength that's in them passes on to their children. My children and grandchildren belong to God and it's my responsibility to teach them scriptural principles, godly character, and basic conviction. And only you and I can ask God to motivate us to this conviction, to make it a great priority in our life. And by the way, children, young people, pray for your parents and your grandparents that God will help them to be the godly parents they're supposed to be. You know why it's so important? Because they are your spiritual covering. They're the ones that protect you. When you get out from under their covering and their protection, you're open to the attack of the enemy. Pray for your parents. Don't call them stupid. Pray that God will give them his wisdom. You'll find out if you'll really be faithful to do that, that when you go away for your first year of college and come back, you'll be amazed how much your parents learned while you were gone. Very important that you understand that. Grandparents and parents should be praying for their children and their grandchildren. And don't be afraid to correct them. I say it again. You ought to put this on your refrigerator if you have children or grandchildren. Nobody loves brats. And whatever you see a brat, it will reflect on the parents and the grandparents. Deal with it. You have to devise some way to get to know them. I've known of Sunday school teachers that saw a young man in this church that wasn't too interested. In one particular, I remember he found out the young man was interested in one particular hobby. He went down to the library and spent hours and hours studying all about that particular hobby and went to the hobby store and got some materials that matched what this young man was interested in and worked on it for a while. Never said a thing to the young man. Finally, when he found out how it operated and how it functions, he went to that young man and sat down and started talking to him. And he said, well, by the way, I understand you're interested in this. Said, yeah, yeah. Finally got the boy's attention. So he said, Are you, do you have anything to do with this particular model? Oh, yeah, yeah. He said, well, really? Is that right? I got one of those. You're kidding. No. Why don't you come over sometime with your model and I'll show you mine and we'll, they will work on a model together. He spent hours just to reach that one young boy and led him to Jesus Christ. Grandparents have time to do that many times if they've got their priorities correctly. Then you can teach them. You can encourage young people and communicate with young people. When we encourage young people, I want to just add this. Don't encourage them to do good and not evil. You want to let them know there's a difference between right and wrong. And don't ever encourage them to be slothful. Listen, Grandma and Grandpa, 
Don't just give to your children, grandchildren. Let them earn. If you just give to them, then life is going to... Listen, I've watched long enough. I've seen parent, grandparents give to their children and give to their children. Give to, and you know, before long, I hear the grandchildren saying, well, they're not going to live much longer than we'll get everything they've got. See, their relationship is built on what they get from their grandmother and grandpa. It should not be that way. What they should walk away with is character, righteousness, where you can communicate these biblical principles to them to establish them as solid citizens. I heard one time of a, a case where there were some people lost and some men that were stranded in a coal mine, and the, the opening was so small that a man could not get down to it, but they needed someone to get down there to move some of the rock off of the front of the, the, the wall that had built up. The miners couldn't get out, and a full-grown man couldn't go down there. And so they said to this one shepherd, boy, how about us letting you down in there, and you roll the stones back? And he said, you're not going to let me down in that shaft, I mean, by myself on a rope. They said, well, somebody's got to get down there. No one else can get down there. And finally, the little boy saw his dad coming. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll go down the shaft on the rope if my dad will hold the rope. I trust my dad. I trust my father. And I just want to say to you this morning, parents and grandparents, you and I have to hold the rope to give our young people stability, give them security, and give them a face to launch out on. Will you say this conviction with me? My children, say it with me, my children and grandchildren belong to God and it's my responsibility to teach them scriptural principles, godly character, and basic convictions. Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that none of us will shun these responsibilities today, but accept them gladly, knowing that the fruit of it can be wonderful. And Father, again, I pray for any that may be here that said, Pastor, I did that. That didn't work. We know that eventually it's got to work because God's word will not return void. And Father, we thank you for that this morning. We thank you ahead of time that it's going to work. Thank you ahead of time that there's going to come a time when you're going to put a hedge of thorns around that, that child or those children, and they're going to have to come back and say, I was wrong. I missed it. They're going to have to come back and say, will you please forgive me, Father, and repent. And Father, that's what we're asking for every one of them this morning that may be discouraged that they'll continue to say, Father, I confess and thank you ahead of time that you said your word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose what you were sent for. We gave our children to you, even though we didn't know a lot of these things. We gave our children to you, even though we messed up so many, many times. But Father, I pray today that you'll help us to walk in these principles and that we'll be able to share them with our children and our grandchildren over and over again. And we'll never compromise. We'll love them, but never compromise. And believe that in the days ahead, you'll cause them to see that this is the only way to go. Father, I thank you ahead of time that you love us more than we could ever love you, and you love our children more than we could ever love them. And so because of that, we ask you, in your mercy and grace, to reach out and touch every child and grandchild in our families, that you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will bring into their lives the truth and the opportunities and the occurrences and the incidents that will keep reminding them of the fact they need to commit their lives totally to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then for those that are in the midst of raising children right now, Father, I pray that first of all you'll put a spirit of obedience into these children, a spirit of wisdom and obedience to where they'll see that it pays to be obedient to God's Word and that we're not disobeying our parents, we're disobeying you when we refuse to respect our parents and have awe and reverence for them. And Father, I pray that as they allow themselves to submit to the authority of their parents, that you'll give these parents wisdom and understanding to know how to teach them your principles. We thank you for the privilege today of being able to hear the Word of God taught. 
for the privilege of being able to learn biblical principles. We know that if we walk in the light, as you're in the light, we'll have fellowship one with another. Make it true in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and every eye closed, there may be some parents say, Pastor, I need to be more consistent. I need to understand these principles and be more consistent. Pray for me. Pray for me. This for anyone. God spoke to my heart. Yes, I see that. I need to be more consistent. God bless you. Anyone else this morning? How many would say, Pastor, I tried to do some of these things as best I knew how, but that's why it hasn't brought forth fruit. Pray with me and agree with me that God will bring forth the fruit of the seeds that have been sown. Pray with me this morning. Anyone? Yes. Yes. Amen. I see those hands. Heavenly Father, First of all, I pray for those that are right now struggling, trying to teach their children biblical principles. You said if we lack wisdom, we can ask of you and you'll give it to us. We know you're not just going to drop it into our heads. It's going to come from studying the Word of God and learning biblical principles and then applying them in our home. I pray, Father, that you'll give them a consistency and a a, a stubbornness that will not give in, that they'll hold the line and say, this is the way it's going to be in my home. Christ is going to be honored and glorified. And then, Father, we bind out of their homes, in Jesus' name, the the spirit of rebellion. We bind out of that that of those homes and out of the children the spirit of anti-submissiveness and the spirit of this present world. Father, we just ask in Jesus' name that you'll open our young people's hearts to respond to the Word of God and to their parents and their grandparents. And, Father, for those that feel as though, well, we tried, that it didn't work yet, in Jesus' name we pray that the Spirit of God will be sent out to these children right where they are right now and that you'll cause circumstances to be such that they will be forced right up against the wall until they'll submit to the authority of your word. Lord, I know that we're concerned with time, but we know you You know exactly where each one of us are. You know exactly what it's going to take to turn the children around. And I pray when they come back home, there won't be any compromises. The, the, the rules and regulations will be the same. The love will be unchanged, but the rules and regulations will be the same. The principles will be the same. And then you can take that and convict them of their sin and bring them to a place of obedience. We're believing you for this, our Father. Confirm your word with miracles and signs and wonders, I pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you. And this morning we finished up on the fifth one of ten. My children and my grandchildren belong to God, and it's my responsibility to teach them scriptural principles, godly character, and basic conviction. I wish I would have had a time for questions and answers this morning after the morning service. I may have gotten some. Uh, It's so important for us to understand the privilege that God has given to us when he gives us children to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And when I realize that millions and millions of children today are being aborted, children that God could have used in the, in, in, his, in the ministry, many souls that will never know of Jesus Christ because of their lack of understanding this principle. God said these are gifts. And I can't tell you how many times I've had mothers come and cry and say, you know, we're trying to have children, we can't have children. And then I think of others that discard them as though it's just a piece of waste. But we have to understand this is a biblical principle that must become a conviction in our heart that children belong to God and are, uh, it's our responsibility to teach and train them as to how to follow after the Lord and have basic biblical convictions.
Conviction number six. My activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. My activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. Now that's based upon the second conviction, the second certainty that I gave you several weeks ago, and that is as a Christian I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priority. We have to put these two convictions together. Unless we're willing to seek God and make his priorities our priorities, we can get into trouble in this area. Because some people say, well, I'm free to do anything I want. Paul the Apostle says, that's right, you're absolutely free to do whatever you want. All things are lawful to you, but not all things are expedient. And that's what we're going to be talking about here. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And verse 12. 1 Timothy 4, 12. Timothy was being taught and trained by Paul the Apostle. And he said to him, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. You hearing that, young people? Don't let anyone think little of you because you're young. Well, he's just a kid, you know. They, they can't help themselves. Don't let anyone think little of you because you are young. Be their ideal. Let them follow the way you teach and live. Be a pattern for them in your love, your faith, and your clean thoughts. Now, the first thing I want to emphasize to you here is Paul is intimating to Timothy that he has a choice of what conduct he's going to act out. He's saying, now, Timothy, there's one way to live, and here's another way to live, and I want to encourage you to live this way. That means that you and I choose every day what our conduct will be. Let me read that to you again from the Living Bible. Don't let anyone think little of you because you are young. Don't use that as an excuse that you're not mature enough. Be their ideal. In other words, you become the standard for them. I want to tell you something. There are a lot of times that a young person in a church will start a revival by their life. There are a lot of people where young people will challenge some of the older people to a closer walk because of their life. I remember the pastor of my home church when I first became a Christian came to me and said, well, you're sure stirring up some of these other young people. I said, why is that? He said, they're saying, hey, if he can come from across the tracks and be as different as he is right now, what's wrong with us? You know, I never thought, I didn't even know this verse existed then. But he says here, be their ideal. Let them follow the way you teach and live. In other words, walk in such a way that they have, if they walk after you, they're going to be walking uprightly and properly. Be a pattern for them in your love. What is a pattern? What is a pattern? It's not a model. Remember I told you a model husband is a chief imitation of the real thing. A pattern means it's something that you can follow and it'll turn out right if you follow that pattern. So if you, he says, you be a, as a young person, Timothy, you be a pattern to these people in what? In your love? In your faith? Do you ever think that you could be a pattern of, of faith to older people, young people? That's what he said to Timothy. And, uh-oh, your clean thoughts. Timothy, you can control your thoughts. Timothy, you can choose what kind of thoughts you're going to think. Why? Because it's your mind. And because it's your mind, you can take control in Jesus' name and say, mind, you will think only what God's Word says I'm to think. So he's saying, Tim Timothy, you have a right to choose. Now, we know when the Bible talks about man and takes a picture of a man, he doesn't touch up the picture, and it's a very horrible picture. We know that Romans 3.23 says very clearly, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have missed the mark. 
All the, it's like an arrow flying toward a target that drops short and hits the ground in front of the target. Said every person on earth has missed the target. Now I want you to say, I want to say to you tonight, when I say that, I can turn right around here in front of here the platform and sit back at me. Every one of us have missed the mark. None righteous. No, not one. There's none that seeks after God. There's none that is. Look at Romans, the third chapter with me. Romans chapter 3. You'll see the picture of mankind. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not what? No, not one. Then he goes on and tells the lifestyle of man who in, in his unbelief. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of ash is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under, who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. He said, here's the picture, untouched. This is mankind in the raw. We want to emphasize this for those liberals that tell you that there's a spark of divinity in each one of us. And if we blow on that spark long enough, it'll burst into flame. We'll just get brighter and brighter and brighter until the day Jesus comes back. That is not what the Word of God teaches. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth righteousness. By the way, some people will say that we can't do righteousness. I heard a pastor today that said, we're not righteous by doing righteous. He said, by doing unrighteousness, does not doing unrighteousness does not make it your, mean that you're unrighteous. And positionally, it's true, but there has to become experientially here on earth the fact that when we become new creatures in Jesus Christ, there is a change and things do happen in our lives. Look at 1 John, the third chapter. He kept saying, conduct has nothing to do with it. Conduct has nothing to do with it. Let me just explain something to you. If you are truly saved, your conduct will change. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, we all come short. Does that mean we're not going to miss it? We're all going to miss it. But we come right back to our source, even the blood of Jesus Christ. We come back and acknowledge our sin. We confess our sin. We come into agreement with God, and we say, God, I don't want that in my life, and I'm believing that you're going to set me free from this total. We're not righteous because of what we do, but we do righteously. Because we have Christ in us. First John 3, 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that, what? Hello. What does it say? First John 3, 7. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as Christ is righteous. So if we're saved, we will do righteously. We'll still fail many times, but we will do righteously. Then look at verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So there is no righteousness in ourselves that's in Jesus Christ, but when Christ comes and lives in us and lives his life out through us, righteous deeds come forth because it's Christ living his life out through us. We can't boast in it of it in ourselves. It's Christ in us living his life out through us as believers. That's the picture of mankind in himself, totally helpless, totally sinful, without hope, unless God does a work in his life. Then the picture the Bible says concerning Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 3.18. 1 
1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18 says concerning Christ, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. Jesus Christ suffered the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Why? Because God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God, agape love, one-way love, when we were yet in our sins, while we had our backs turned to God, while we blasphemed, while we did all those things that was named, named there in Romans, while we were doing all those things, Christ died for the ungodly. None of us deserved it. Romans 5, 6 describes that. Romans 5, 6. I'm trying to establish this conviction in your heart. Romans 5, 6. My activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. In Galatians it says, In the fullness of time Christ came to die for our sins. Right when it was necessary, right when it was important, God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God put all of our sins and all of his wrath on Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus knew that you and I could not save ourselves. There's nothing that you and I can do. All our righteousnesses, the Bible says, are as filthy rags. So when Jesus Christ died for our sins, he said that we become slaves to that sin. John 8.34. John 8.34. Trying to set up a foundation for what I'm going to say, have to say of concerning this conviction. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. The Living Bible said it this way, every man who commits sin is a slave. Look at Romans 6.16. Romans 6.16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness let me read that to you out of the living bible don't you realize that you choose your own master you can choose sin with death or obedience with acquittal the one to whom you offer yourself he will take you and be your master and you will be his slave we do it by choice we choose whom we'll serve in the Old Testament, God, Moses said to the children of Israel, choose you this day whom you'll serve. If you're going to serve Baal, stay over there. If you're going to serve God, come over here. And you see, God all along gives you and me the opportunity to choose who we'll serve. Every day of our life, we choose who we'll serve. And that's why I keep saying, make that quality decision that Jesus is Lord, and you don't have to make your daily decision. Do I want to get involved in this sin that binds me up, this sin that, that's an addiction to me anymore? No, I don't care to do that. I choose not to do that. Then Jesus becomes your master. Yes, I will do that. Then that addiction and the enemy begins to become your master. He says, you choose. You see, we keep saying, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. God gave you one choice. The devil gave you another choice. You decided which way you and I will go. We must, we do that every single day. Some people say, well, it's just in my genes. It's just my environment. No, it's in our mind. The battle's right here between our ears. We choose every day to be bound or to be free. And we know that once we get into sin, sin blinds us. There's nothing more blind than, than a person walking around with unconfessed sin in their life. They just are in total bondage. 
The enemy is trying his best to block their eyes and block their ears so they won't receive truth, and they'll come into deception. They'll turn away from truth, the scripture says, and turn to lies. And great is the darkness thereof. 1 John 1 8. 1 John 1 8. This is one of the first verses I had to learn in evangelism courses in school. If we say, 1 John 1 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. There's not a one of us in the room tonight that can say, you know, thank God I have not sinned once today. Because we sin in word, deed, and thought over and over again. That's why there is no righteousness in ourselves. That's why we have to appropriate Christ's righteousness every moment. Every day. When Pat and I are praying together, one of the first things we do is deal with that very fact that we appropriate the blood that was shed in our behalf. We fail, we come short, we miss it. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. We receive that forgiveness. We receive that cleansing in Jesus' name. And thank you, Father, for your faithfulness in our life. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You and I don't even know our own hearts. Only God really knows our hearts. Because our heart will be very quick to excuse our sin. Very quick to, to uh, uh, tell you that sin is harmless and it's very pleasurable. And you know, we're supposed to get a little bit of joy out of this life. You've heard the song, it, it can't be wrong if it feels so right. If it feels so good, it just can't be wrong. And that's the deceitfulness of this, this heart of ours. That's why we have to have insight from the Holy Spirit. And there's some people that rather keep their sin than to come to a place of total obedience before God and fail to realize that they cannot be effective in the work of the kingdom of God if they want to keep their sin. I've actually had people say, well, hey, if that's what it's going to cost to be a Christian, I'd rather keep my sin and go to hell. That's a hard thing to hear, but I've actually had to say, that, hey, you've got that option. You've got that option. Dave Wilkerson said some time ago, mankind today is more afraid of cancer than they are of hell. You say that C word, and man, they just, just freeze up. You can say hell all you want to them. They'll laugh, they'll scoff, they'll just ridicule. But you say that C word. I have walked into room after room when the doctors walked in and said it's cancer. And it's, it's the bad kind. And see people just literally shudder all over and begin to weep and everything else. And I've walked into rooms and told people, you know, Christ has provided life for you, eternal life for you by faith and repenting of your sins and if we don't receive Christ he says we have no hope that we're going to go to hell big deal I'm not about to make a decision while I'm laying flat on my back no way am I going to do it while I'm down the heart is deceitful of course then there's the other side where people say hey I'm just hopeless I can't get out from under it I mean I'm bound I'm a prisoner there's no way out God can't blame me I've tried my best but I just can't get out look at James 1.14 Either man is true or God's true. Verse 13. James 1, 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When he disagrees with the truth. When he disagrees with the truth, he's drawn away with his own lust. It's when we say, oh, I, I'm not, I, I don't come into agreement with that. I want to do this thing over here, and God says I should do it. I want to do it. That's when you get drawn away, and it's not the devil's fault. It's 
by choice that we're bound or free and we're not the victim of circumstances we're the victim of choices that we've made good or bad you know a lot of people don't like to do that because they'd rather blame than live with guilt and deal with the guilt and to be able to say father it's me I am the one who sent I am the one who failed I am the one that's come short will you please forgive me I was wrong and I acknowledge my wrongness tonight I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me in Jesus name you see if there's a spirit in our life you and I have the authority to get rid of that spirit. That's why I've always said, when you've prayed over something and you've fasted over something and you've wept over something and you don't want that in your life and you know God doesn't want it in your life and it's still there and it still dominates and still rules and still controls, that's the time to say, hey, there is something here that's not of me and I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I'm taking authority. I choose to be free from this and I take authority in Jesus' name and that will be gone out of my life. That's when it happens. Again, it's a choice. You see, you and I might be manipulated and controlled, and many years as a Christian, I was by things within me. And I fought and I fought and I fought, and I'd come back, God, that's sin in my life, and I don't want that in my life before long. It finally struck me, wait a minute, that's not me. There's something else here that's involved. And that's when I realized there had to be a coming out party in some of those things. And that's when I was able to choose because I knew Jesus Christ, and I knew that he gave us authority, that I could begin to deal with that thing and then be free. But again, if I could keep giving into it, giving into it, giving into it, and trying to blame the devil, I don't have to give into it because I have the authority given me all right in Jesus Christ to cast those things out and be free. Great difference. Again, you can't say it's the environment. No, you and I can settle the environmental problem by dealing with it ourselves. Now, it may be a battle, it may be a struggle, but we know we win because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To be free, we have to be honest before God and open our eyes and accept the responsibility for our own sins. I missed the mark. You don't have to say, I'm too bad, because Paul the Apostle already claimed that position. He said he was the chiefest of all sinners. But even though we're bad, with God all things are possible. You and I can walk in victory in Jesus Christ when we learn who we are and where we are in the standing with God, that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, far above all principalities and powers, all the rulers of the darkness of this world. Now, you see, you have a believer. You can either believe that, or you can say, well, I know that's what the Word says, but I realize where I am walking down here. I know I should soar like an eagle, but here I am down here with all the rest of these turkeys having trouble, waiting for the, for the enemy to come and chop my head off for Thanksgiving. See, I know what my experience is, but we have to get rid of our experience and begin to say what God says we are and who we are and where we are. That's where victory comes in. I'm just setting a foundation here. Next Sunday, I want to talk about the purpose of Christ's death and resurrection. What was the purpose of it? To help us to know that our activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. Father, in Jesus' name, minister these truths to our heart and make us realize not only our position in Christ, but our responsibility when we're in that position and the privilege we have of being a light and a witness for Jesus Christ. We are a city set on a hill. We're salt. I pray, Father, that we'll not lose our savor, but rather be able to stand, and as Paul said to Timothy, be an example to the believers in all manner of living, in faith, in every other area of our life. Let it be so, I pray, our Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. concerning biblical certainties and the biblical certainty that we shared this morning is number six my activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian we said that that 
that uh, certainty is based upon the second biblical certainty, and that is, as a Christian, I must purpose to seek God and to set my goals according to his priorities. We've already preached on all that, but we talked about this last one of my activities must never weaken the scriptural convictions of another Christian. And we said that we have to come to a certain place before we will acknowledge this as a reality in our life, and that is we have to repent of our sins, Christ, believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, receive him as our Savior, and begin to confess him as our Lord and Savior. And we said when that happens, when that becomes a reality in our life, our old nature dies according to God's Word. We studied that this morning. And our former obligation to respond to that old nature is gone. We, don't, we no longer have an obligation. Many Christians still do it, but they don't realize, they've never come to the awareness yet that they don't have to respond to the old nature. Christ permanently destroyed the sin nature's power to control us. Don't you know that you, they, as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, and we should reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. And, but the struggle continues... Like Paul the Apostle said for himself also, that which I would do I do not, that which I would not do that I do. I'm continuously struggling. Who's going to deliver me? He said Jesus Christ would do it. You see, the only time we can, uh, we can know this victory in our life, not being controlled by the, the physical elements, by the fleshly elements, by the law of sin and death, was when we come to the place where the law of the spirit of life in Christ supersedes it. We talked this morning about the law of gravity, always there. But a greater law, the law of, of uh, aerodynamics, which will supersede the law of gravity, will cause a plane to go up in the air and fly, and you think it's just, uh, how in the world can it do it with the law of gravity? It must have destroyed the law of gravity. No, we just superseded it. And when we come to the place where we have the faith to believe that God's word is true, that we did die with Christ, and we are risen to walk in newness of life in him, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, when we really believe that, then we no longer have to respond to that flesh. We can acknowledge, I do not have to respond anymore because I am now alive in Jesus Christ. I am no longer a slave, and I can put down the load and let Christ bear my load for me. It won't happen until we have the faith to believe that we are free to live as a new person in Jesus Christ. That new law supersedes the old. In Romans, the 8th chapter, we'll look at that again. In Romans, chapter 8, and verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus eventually will make me free from the law of sin and death. What is that, present, past, or future tense? Past tense, all right. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath, past tense, already made me free from the law of sin and death. Satan may still roar at us. Satan may still threaten us. He may entice us. He may still lie to us. And he'll only succeed to the degree that you and I do not know and understand and believe what God's Word says concerning our authority over him. You see, the Scripture says that Jesus came to destroy the work of Satan in this world. He destroyed all his power. He disrupted and tore up his kingdom. And he's already judged. He's just waiting now for his execution. He has no authority, but he still has authority in the life of the believer if we do not really believe what God's Word says. It says that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus far above all, all principalities and powers, all rulers of the darkness, all wicked spirits. Why else can we come and in the name of Jesus command the, the, the powers of darkness out of a person's life that's trying to destroy them if the powers of darkness did not know that Jesus is the Christ and everything he said was true? We have 
because Christ hath already made us free. We have freedom in Christ, but we'll never experience it until we begin to believe, really by faith, that what God said is absolutely true, and it applies to us. We talked this morning about the Emancipation Proclamation. Jesus Christ gave us an Emancipation Proclamation, and there's still many of us walking around with the, with the bondage and the chains and Satan's still defeating us every day because we, we know what God's Word says, but it can't possibly be true in our life. You see, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we have to have faith in His Word, that if His Word says it, it's settled. His Word is settled forever in the heavens. Heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word will never pass away. That's why we are not helpless, but we must discipline our will. To not what do I feel, but it is written. Satan came to Jesus. If thou be the Son of God, I know you're hungry. If you be the Son of God, just command that stone to be turned into bread. It is written, Satan. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you be the Son of God, put yourself up on the pinnacle of the temple and cast yourself down, because it says in the Word that God will not allow your foot to be dashed against the stone. He will not let you hit the ground. He'll perform a miracle for you. And think how popular you'll be then. It is written, Satan, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You see, it would be a natural thing for a person to want to do something to get a lot of self-attention. Perform some miracle that's going to cause a lot of attention. In fact, every time Jesus performed a miracle, he tried to get away so that the crowds wouldn't keep following after him. He wasn't there to, to create people to follow after him as much as they were to just confirm the fact that he was who he said he was. We have to discipline our will, first of all, to what does the Word of God say. Well, I feel. Forget what we feel. Well, I think. Forget what you think. If you and I are going to have victory in our daily life, we have to go back to what does the Word of God say, and that's what I'm going to believe, and that's what I'm going to confess. You have to renew your mind. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. By people being able, by standing on what God's Word says and acting out what God's Word says, other people will look and say, that's good in his life. Look at the change it's made in his life. Look at the difference that's happened in his life. And then think what God said. Many Christians go around in constant bondage because they don't accept. They have never really believed what Jesus said. If the Son's going to set you free, you're free indeed. Well, that's not what I'm experiencing. Well, it didn't say you're supposed to confess what you're experiencing. You're supposed to confess what God said. And I'll give you another example. The father of faith, Abraham. Scripture says his body was so old it was way past the time of being able to produce children. His wife's body was way past the time being able to produce children, but God said, you're going to have children. Remember me telling the story about Abram? His name was Abram that meant father of many. And I'm sure he went to God time and time again and said, Father, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. Here I am, almost 100 years of age, and, and you, my name is, means father of many, and I have had no children whatsoever. Can't we change my name? God says, oh, I think we can work that out. Yeah, let's call you Abraham from now on. Oh, yeah, father of nations, thanks a lot. Now, God had promised him a child. And it says in Hebrews that he didn't look at his own body. He didn't look at Sarah's body. He looked at what God said, and God said he was going to have a son, and he believed that God was going to give him a son regardless of the outward circumstances. Now, that's why God called him the father of faith. He, didn't, he could have said, come on, give me a break. I mean, look, this body's shot. I mean, it's completely gone. There's, how are you going to give me a son? Never happened. God constantly had him reminded of what he's going to do. He said, Abraham, look up in the stars. He looks up and he says, can you count them? No, they're innumerable. That's how many kids you're going to have. So, you know, he couldn't go around with his nose up in the air all the time. So God said, Abraham, 
Look at the ground. What do you see? Oh, sand. How many grains of sand are there? I don't, can't count them. Because that's how many children you're going to have. So if he looked up, if he looked down, wherever he looked, all he could see was God's promise that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what it looks like, I told you you're going to have a son, now believe it. Now the scripture says that God blessed Abraham in all things because of his faithfulness and his faith. What happened? Abraham had a son. Today there's the nation of Israel. The God, Abraham could have very easily said, well, I know what God said, but... And you know, that's exactly what many Christians are doing today. Jesus said, I'm free. Jesus said he's conquered the powers of darkness. But you don't understand what's going on inside my body. It doesn't make a difference. Abraham knew what's going on inside of his body, too. It wasn't going on inside of his body, too. But he said, God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Not only must we believe it, but then we have to do what God's Word tells us and God's Word says. He says, you're free. Now walk it out. No, I'll not respond to the flesh anymore. No, I'll not respond to those thoughts anymore. No, I'll not respond to those appetites anymore. Why? Because that old sin nature is dead, and I have been quickened and made alive in Jesus Christ. Spirit of the living God, what would you have me to do? Someone comes to a, person, to a Christian and said, Here, would you like a slug of whiskey? Just a minute. Holy Spirit, this is your temple. Would you like a slug of whiskey? Well, no, thank you. The Holy Spirit wouldn't like to have any in the, inside there. Oh, but don't you have that appetite to make a difference? I have a guest inside right now. I have someone living inside. This is the temple of God right now, and I'm not going to defile it. You know, every time God caused a revival in Israel, they always had to cleanse the temple. And if you and I are going to have a revival, before we can have a revival, we have to let God cleanse the temple. And that cleansing of the temple comes when we die out to ourselves and allow Jesus Christ to rule in our lives and walk it out. Now, sin has not died at all. The only thing that that's still alive is our responding to it, our slavery to it. Look at Romans 8:15, same chapter, in the 15th verse. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage or enslavement. In other words, from Christ now, when Christ came to you and gave you a new spirit, he has not given you the spirit of bondage or enslavement again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Let me read that to you from the Living Bible. We should not be like fearful, cringing slaves, but we should behave like God's very own children adopted into the bosom of his family. Let me read that again. If we're Christians, we shouldn't be crawling around fearful, getting over in corners and hiding. We should not be like fearful, cringing slaves, but we should behave like God's very own children adopted into the bosom of his family. In other words, he says when Satan comes around, we don't have to run over the corner and hide and say, oh God, what am I going to do? We can stand up and walk right out in his presence and say, you have no right here. I'm a child of God. You're the kingdom of darkness. You're already judged. And I command you in Jesus' name to be gone. But he won't go. Now there you go, saying again what the flesh says. The word says he gives us authority over all the powers of darkness. We're seated far above all principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. You see, again, we're talking about how we respond to what God says. Either it's true or what Satan says is true. We have to have our believer work on one or the other. Yeah, but I know I feel this fear inside. You have to deal with fear then. Fear, be gone in the name of Jesus. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I will have nothing to do with you but of power and of love and of a disciplined mind. Look at Galatians, the fifth chapter. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, the fifth chapter. Stand fast, therefore, in the bondage wherewith Christ has encumbered us. Is that what yours says? 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now, Paul says we're free. Galatians, the Living, Living Bible says it this way, Christ hath made us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get all tied up again in the chains of slavery. I remember the night I got saved. I felt so free I could not even tell you how wonderful it was. I mean, I wept. I laughed. I jumped up and down. I did everything. I was so thrilled. And then the devil began to come back and lie to me, and I didn't understand biblical principles, and I began to come into bondage again. Some of you young people, you have problems listening to what the rest of the young people tell you about obedience to God and obedience to your parents. And you begin to listen to them, and you wonder why you have turmoil inside when the Bible says children obey your parents in the Lord, because it's right. And when you don't obey, then the enemy causes you to feel guilty, causes you to feel defeated. And you say, well, you know, I, I really just don't feel like this. We don't go by what we feel like. We go by what the Word of God says. And if it says children obey your parents, we will obey our parents if Christ has set us free. It's that simple. Now, you see, there are a lot of people that just keep on trying to die, trying to die. Try. Uh, there's one, one denomination I know that every week they try to tell the people that they should come forward and get sanctified again, come forward and get sanctified again. And I, I years ago told about the, the man who used to go to church every Sunday night and go to the altar and cry and cry and say, God, fill me with the Spirit. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Lord, fill me with the Spirit. And he'd go out on Monday and he'd get drunk and he'd stay drunk, stay drunk all week and then he'd come back on Sunday night and say, Lord, forgive me and fill me with the Spirit. Fill me with the Spirit. And one dear sister heard him do that the week after week and finally she said, Lord, don't do it. He leaks. There's a lot of Christians that are trying to die all week long and we don't have to try to die. We don't have to feel dead to be dead to sin. Can I give you an illustration of that that I've given some time before? I'm married, but I don't necessarily feel married. Now, if I take this ring off, well, what does that do now? Well, my ring's gone, so I'm not married. No, I'm still married, aren't I? Even if I don't feel like it, whether I feel like it or not, am I married? Pat, am I still married? My ring is off. Still married, yeah. Okay, now, again, how do I know that I'm married? What if I don't feel like it? She'll never let you forget it, that's right. There came a time when I came to an altar and I covenanted or vowed to live with Pat the rest of our days till she dies or I die. Now, when I made that vow, God supernaturally caused us to become one flesh for life. We'll never be twain again until one of us dies. Now, whether I feel like it or not, I'm married. Now, if God's Word, because that's what God's Word says, you're one flesh until death. Now, whether I feel like it or not, like I said, I can be living in Timbuktu and she could be living over in Chinatown somewhere. doesn't make any difference. As far as God is concerned, we're still one flesh. and will be until one dies. Now, because we know the Word says that, we believe that, we don't have any struggle with that. She probably will never think about divorce, maybe, maybe murder, but never divorce. <laughs> but now, the same thing is true. God's Word says that you and I are dead to sin and alive to God. Well, I don't feel like it. It doesn't make a difference. God said it. When he made that agreement to hang on the cross for your sins and mine, and he was willing to die on that cross for your sins and mine, and when he was willing to be buried for our sins and raised up again for our justification, it was a completed deal. And when we receive that package, he says it's completed, it's finished. Now accept it and believe it. Walk it out. Don't try to be dead. Say, I am dead. 
Bless your dead. Paul the Apostle says he had a funeral service every single day. I died daily. I had a You know, uh, Spurgeon, I think it was, that used to go to bed every night and cross his arms just like a person would in a casket back in those days. And he'd lay there and imagine himself laying in a casket and said, I'm dead. Spurgeon, you're dead. Jesus is living in this body. Quit trying to get your way. Body, you're dead. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good practice, I guess. It's at least a, a, a something to remind you. But better than that, we can say it is written in the Word of God, I don't have to try to die. I don't have to try to feel dead. I don't have to try to have self-control. I don't have to try to deny myself. I just have to accept what's completed. I am dead to sin, and I am alive to Christ, and I have to respond now to what the Spirit of God says and not to what this old body tells me. The old law is dead. Sin is still present in our lives, but it has no authority and no control unless we give it to him. Satan can do no more in our lives than what we allow him to do. That's why James says, don't blame God or someone else whenever you, you fall into sin. You're, you go into sin because you're drawn aside by your own lusts and your own evil desires. Those desires that are supposed to be dead and gone. We have to act on it and obey the word. Because for without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to to please God. We have to stake our life on what God's Word says. If He says we're dead to sin and alive to Him, then we're dead to sin and alive to Him, and we, we, that's the way we're going to have to operate. He says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll be your God. Now, let me ask you something. If, if He told us to do it, does that mean it's impossible to do it, or does that mean it's possible? Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean. Quit touching those unclean things. Then I'll be your God and you'll be my children. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind. If we really do what God says there, we'll have no love left for the world and the things of the world and the desires and appetites of the world. Amen? If we love someone with all our heart, you say, but what if the devil uses his big guns on me? I mean, he might really come out and really give me a barrage. First Corinthians 10, 13. It is written, There hath only a few temptations. There hath only been a dozen temptations. There hath been only five. No. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. The God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. It's written in the Word of God and doesn't make any difference what guns Satan brings out. All the temptations are common. They're just common temptations. Everybody's experiencing common temptations. The more I'm in the ministry and the more I talk to people, there's only so many things the devil can throw at you. So many temptations that can come your way. And God's Word says it very clearly. It doesn't make any difference what he throws at you. It'll never overtake you if you really believe that you're dead, your own sin nature's dead, and you now have the spirit of life and liberty in Jesus Christ operating in your body. Now, if you don't believe it, you're in trouble. But if you believe it, then you'll be free. And to know that once you have accepted Jesus Christ, you'll never be alone again. He says, He which hath begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. Wherever you are, you can say, Lord Jesus, help me in this moment. I'm standing on the fact that I'm alive in you. I'm dead in trespasses. I was dead in trespasses and sin, and the law of sin and death was operating in my life, but now it has no more authority over me. Lord Jesus, I claim your authority in my life. He's promised us supernatural help. 
You know, one thing that really encouraged me years ago is found in Psalm 31. Psalm 31. And I have had to remind the Lord of this many times as a Christian. Psalm 31, verse 8. Verse 7, to begin with, I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities, and hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. That last part in the Living Bible says, ye have given my feet room to maneuver. God will never let you get in a corner where you can't get out. You ever, you ever seen somebody paint themselves in the corner? God says, I'll never let you get painted into a corner. You may look like you're in trouble, but I'll always make a way. You ever study the life of David? Every time Saul just about caught him, something would happen that Saul would be called away to another battle, or something would happen that David would get away from Saul, because David constantly cried out to the Lord, and he said, Lord, your mercies are from everlasting to everlasting. I, my trust is in you, Lord, completely. And they that put their trust in the Lord will never be made ashamed. David had a, was a man after God's own heart, and he cried out for the mercy of God continuously. And God's word says here, look at that first part of that verse, and hath not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. The enemy can't get a grip on me. He can't grab a hold of me and hang on to me at all. He always gives me room to maneuver so I can get around him. I can get away from him. He can't deal with me. He can't destroy me. And if we trust him, Christ will deliver us and keep the enemy from returning into our lives when we stand by faith. He keeps coming and trying to make us doubt. But he says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against the enemy. When the enemy comes in like a flood, I like some other, one other interpreted the comma right after that, when the enemy comes in, comma, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord raises a standard, raises up a standard against the enemy. Now, it's wonderful for us to, by faith, stand, but you see, that stand will not be enjoyable to us unless we really love God. A man or a woman will not really enjoy being faithful to their partner unless they really love them. It's when you really love somebody. You see, most of the time it's not a sin problem, it's a love problem. Do we really love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? Well, Psalm 97 tells us a good way to test whether we love him or not. Psalm 97, first part of verse 10. Ye that love the Lord, what? Hate evil. Remember me telling you to be a good gardener? It's not enough to love flowers. You've got to hate weeds. You're going to be a real good gardener, really good gardener. You're going to be one, a, a Christian that God can use. It's not enough to love God, but you've got to hate evil. You've got to despise evil. We cannot compromise with evil. May God help us to see the truth here. What does he go on to say? You that love the Lord, hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. We can call upon him in the time of trouble. Scripture says that we're to resist Satan. Let me ask you something. If you and I do not have authority in Jesus' name, how can we resist Satan? I mean, he is an archangel. You know, one angel in the Old Testament killed 285,000 men in one night. And God says to the believer, resist Satan. 
Your first reaction is, I'm not going to take any prisoners, I'll tell you that. Uh, are you kidding? Resist Satan? Yes, resist Satan. How can we do that? We can do it only in the name of Jesus, which is the name above every name. And then believe that the Lord is going to deliver you and expect him to. Lord, you see the circumstances, you see the situation, I acknowledge that my old sin nature is still alive, but its power is dead. I have the new life of liberty and Christ is alive in me, and I submit to that authority. I acknowledge the enemy has no more authority over me. I do not have to respond to the flesh anymore. I resist Satan in the name of Jesus, and I believe you're going to make a way of escape so that I can bear it. And I'm thanking you ahead of time for it. Now, you see, this the thing that we need to understand is all this description we're talking about here involves a battle. And that's why God's Word says put on the whole armor of God every day. You and I cannot resist the devil in our own knowledge, in our own understanding, in the flesh. We can't do it. We have to put on the whole armor of God, the helmet, the, chest, the breastplate of righteousness, loins girded about with truth, feet, shod of preparation of the gospel, sword of the Spirit, the shield of faith, and praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's our armor. David said in Psalm 34, 6, Psalm 34, 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of most of his trouble. Some of his trouble, I'm sorry. Is that what yours says? Psalm 34, 6. He saved him out of what? All of his trouble. All of his trouble. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his trouble. If you and I will walk by faith, believing that that sin nature no longer has authority in our life and that Christ and the spirit of liberty and life in Christ has authority in our life and we can resist Satan, it will be said of us, as was said of Jesus, that Satan came to him and found nothing in him. When he comes to you and me, he'll find nothing in us. He'll find no fear. He'll find no guilt. He'll find no anger, no bitterness, no lust, no guile. If we'll, by faith, claim this truth in our lives, the old habits will have to go. You see, this new law leaves the enemy with no power. I've heard, I read some time ago about the fact that the old lions, you know, the Bible says that Satan is like a lion going back and forth on the earth seeking whom he may devour. But I'm told the old toothless lions, uh, they can't really hurt you. or oh, they can carry you up with their claws pretty badly. But that, whenever the, there's an old lion that travels with the younger lions, the younger lions will go around on one side of the lair and they'll lie down very quietly and then the old lion will go around the other side and he'll roar real loudly and all the animals will flee right into the mouths of the young lions and they'll tear them all up. And then the old lion will come over and gum the whatever left half to death, you see. But it's the young lions you have to worry about and he says it's a, it's a, a roaring lion is an old lion. The young lions usually keep their mouths shut so they can sneak up on the prey but the old lion will go around and scare the daylights out of wherever it is run right into the mouths of the young lions. And that's exactly what Satan does. He comes around and roars in our ears and we just tremble from head to foot and run right into the trap that he has set forth. You see, if we're walking off rate as what God wants us to here, our old relationships will have to change. We won't enjoy the fellowship of those that do not love the Lord anymore. We'll have to change our friendships, our relationships, because they're not compatible. What, what fellowship has light with darkness, the Word of God says? Young people, remember, choose your friends well. Make sure that every one of them will cause you to have a closer walk with Jesus Christ. And when they come and try to tempt you to do things you should not do, get away from them. Have nothing to do with them. Leave them alone. And when this operates in your life, you will no longer be indifferent as a Christian. 
If you love God with all your heart and you hate evil, you will not allow compromise to come in your life. You cannot be indifferent to the things. The scripture says that we're to have no fellowship. Look at Ephesians 5.11. It's good for you to underscore this verse. Ephesians 5.11. Ephesians 5.11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Express disapproval of them. When you see people doing things you know they ought not to do, you should be the first one to speak up and say, that's not right. That ought not to be done. And a lot of times we're afraid to say that around people. We tend to be afraid to say that for fear when we might make them feel badly. That's tough. Don't ever be afraid to let other people feel badly if they're doing what's wrong and you're doing what's right. You're supposed to be light in this present world. Salvation by faith in the Word of God. Everything else that we receive in our Christian walk is by faith. How do we know we're saved? How do you know you're saved? There's only one way we can know. What does the Word of God say? Believe into the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. Oh, I, I, that's what the Word... Now, I know I'm saved because that's what the Word said. How do you know your name is written in the Lamb's Book of, Book of Life? By faith in what the Word of God says. How do we know that we should have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The Scripture says that our understanding is unprofitable when we experience that thing. It should not make us proud to be able to speak in a language that we don't even understand. But by faith, if God's Word says that's what we ought to have, by faith we reach out, receive it, and begin to operate in that because it's a part of our armor. How do we receive healing? Some do and some don't. If we do, it's by faith in what God's Word says. He said you should lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He said call for the elders of the church, let them anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven them. And there's some people that will believe that and God does that work in their life. Today I called someone and that wasn't feeling well and prayed with them. And later when Pat called them, they said, you know, I started feeling better right after Pastor Webb prayed for me. Well, they had the faith to reach out and believe, and God touched their life, touched their body. How do we know that we can have victory over demonic activities in our lives? Because the Word of God says so. The Word of God says that we can be set free. If we're free, we're free indeed. And we have to accept that by faith. How can we know that we can have daily victory? Because Jesus said when he was on the cross, it is finished. What? The work of redemption is complete. When he died and was buried, it was over with. When he raised from the dead, the payment of sin was complete. And he said, now that law of sin and death in you, that law of, of the flesh that's there that's causing you to continue to sin, it no longer has authority over you. It no longer has any power to be effective in your life. But you have to know that and realize the law of liberty in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Christ has provided that victory for us personally when we begin to walk in victory, when we begin to walk with joy. And a new law will begin to emerge, and that's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. A new law that's going to emerge that become very, very effective in our life. And it will influence the lives of others also. Heavenly Father, I thank you tonight that the Word of God is true. I pray that somehow we'll have the faith to reach out and appropriate it. Lord, I want to appropriate it in my life every moment. We realize tonight that if we say we have not sinned, we lie, and truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But Father, we want to tell you tonight that, well, first of all, we want to thank you 
that Jesus Christ did a complete work. It really is finished. Said by his stripes we're healed. But also Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. You bless Abraham in all things. You want to bless us in all things too, Lord, but it's not going to happen until we're men and women of faith. We quit going by what our flesh wants and what our fleshly appetites desire. We say, flesh, get in line. You're dead. You've been crucified with Christ. Get in line. I'm not going to respond to you anymore. I respond to what the Spirit of God says. 